This is the Misdirected Mark Podcast, a podcast about gaming, game mastering, and entertaining you, our listeners. We are explicit, you have been warned, and I'd like to thank Mike Willard for letting us use his music at our show. Now let's pick up those mics and get on with this thing. And welcome to the 509th episode of the Misdirected Mark Podcast. Tonight we discuss slice of life moments in your tabletop role-playing games. But first, my name is Jerry. My name is Phil. Oh, I'm Chris. And I am Old Man Logan. Let's do some announcements real quick. I want to talk about the Patreon, because I like talking about the Patreon. So if you are a member of our Patreon, you get a bunch of Children of the Shroud Patreon stuff. You get our character sheets, you get the mods that we're using in our game, you get the background of the setting, you get Phil's GM thoughts on the Children of the Shroud, and you get our Session Zero notes. That's a ton of great reasons to join our Patreon. Furthermore, you get access to our Slack room, where Phil is going to be doing some things with the patrons to mess with us and also provide names and all sorts of complications for the players in the game. So if you want to be a part of the game, that is how you become a part of the game. Yeah, I'm going to be putting that together in a short period. And when you said Phil's thoughts about the game, I just want to mention these are like 10 minute audio clips where I talk about, I think we're titling them behind the screen, where I'm going to I'm going to talk to everybody about my thoughts about the like, you know, what's going on or what was going through my head as I was prepping the game. What am I expecting? That kind of thing. Yeah, that's very cool. I actually am very interested in, in editing and releasing the first one later this week. Well, not this week in podcast time and podcast time. This is like four weeks later. I'm pretty sure I have the idea for the second one already queued up. All right. Well, that's all the announcements I have. Does anybody else have any? To be honest, since we're using nonlinear podcasting time, I don't even know where this thing falls. So probably happy birthday, Bob. Yes, and happy birthday, Phil. Yeah, yes, there we go. Birthday. This is for the future. Oh, here we go. Future, happy birthday no, to future. you. Happy birthday. I'm breaking copyright now. <laughs> we're going to get fucking sued. We're going to get Don't worry. If we're going to get sued, the Led Zeppelin lawyers are coming for us. First. No way, because I actually got that from a <laughs> Swedish group that did a, a cover of their song that is so so outside of the realm of what that song is and out of the country that we can utilize it. Well played, sir. I had to, I had to go lawyer on that one. Well played, oh, sir. man. I'm playing the lawyer card. I'm playing the I used a cover band. <laughs> I used a cover band from out of the country <laughs> sue them i'm only using their stuff anyway uh, yes. i don't have anything else uh i think those that you know everything that we said you just said about the patreon absolutely true this is you know this mm plays is a chance to actually see what goes into how we talk about gming advice like it actually happens at the table and you can actually see all of the like behind the uh scenes kind of stuff with all the stuff that we have loaded up in the patron yes absolutely Okay, well, Ooh. let's move on. Are you ready for a workshop? Ah, uh, shit. Hang on. Gird sure yourself. Gird sure. your loins. Gird your throat. Okay, here we go. Workshop. Workshop. This is where we go through and I talk about the topic. In this case, slice of life. It's just a normal day here in the workshop. Aww. <laughs> what? Are you not amused? I'm amused. I'm laughing over here. <laughs> so... A simple walk in a park, a meal with your family at a diner, a drink in a bar with friends, sitting around in class passing notes and listening to the teachers speak about the beauty of playwrights from the past. These are all slice-of-life moments. But how does this enter the realm of RPGs? Let's start this discussion, as we often do, with the definition. Behold! You are in the presence of Definition Panda. 
Let me first start by saying that Chris reveals his age with the slice of life thing. Passing notes in class is not a thing that happens. That's anymore. absolutely true. Texting each other in class is the th- is the equivalent of pa- it is Accurate. the better version of passing notes. That's true. I thought kids were allowed to have this, their phones in school. Depends. They can have them in school. Most of them can't take them out in class, and that's the that's the sneaky that's part. That's the passing notes. Yeah, that's the passing notes. Is like when you like you know just pop open your phone and take a quick look or type something out. That's why when if you get really good at it, you can just touch type on your phone like me. I never passed notes in class, so I have no idea how that goes either. You actually have to have friends in high school. This I'm just true. kidding, Ouch. man. No, that's I'm actually just, that's 100 percent true. That's <laughs> that's a comment You're on Jerry's constant. That, that wasn't a dig at Jerry. That was a, more of a commentary on Jerry talking about his high school experience. I do have to say, as a little foreshadowing, uh, heading into uh, story two, there is a moment I think you guys will all get a chuckle out of. I don't want to say anything, but the opposition is going to be amusing. When we get into that story, man, we've gone so far afield from the definition. Yeah, let me get back to the definition part here. All right, let's talk about Slice of Life and let's get into the definition. I'll get myself back on track here. Thank you very much. The manga and anime definition, I think, is going to work best for us when it comes to this term. Um, these are narratives which take place in a recognizable everyday setting, such as a suburban high school, and which focus on human relationships that are. Often we'll say romantic, but could also just be like friendships, you know, in nature. The genre favors the creation of emotional ties with the characters, which I think is one of the nice things about Slice of Life. That is straight from Wikipedia. That's why I started watching the anime Lucky Star. It was just Slice of Life every episode for like 90% of the episode. It's nice. It's common. Yeah, right? man. There's some that are like working in a convenience store. Just the daily occurrences that occur sure. working in a convenience store uh, and, and things like that. Right. Mm-hmm. I think the point of that is like there is actual interesting things that happen in real life. Not all life has to be an adventure. Sometimes the interesting things can just be the things that happen as we go through our day. Clerks. Isn't Clerks a slice of no, life? No, because it's comedy. Sure. It's it's too comedic to be just slice of life. Sure. There's there's a there's a It is a comedy version of what slice of life should look like. Correct. Yeah. Okay, anyway, let me expand on this definition a little. We're going to get scholarly here. Our research interns were hard at work on this, prepping this for me. By research interns, he means me. Yes. Expanding on this, let's look at uh, Robin E. Brenner's book, Understanding Manga and Anime. He believes slice of life is a genre that is more akin to melodrama than drama, bordering on the absurd due to the large number of dramatic and comedic events in a very in very short spans. Now, that to me absolutely sounds like that clerks. does sound like clerks. Right? Yes. <laughs> the author compares it to teen dramas such as Dawson's Creek. By the way. If you are aware of what Dawson's Creek is, take an Advil for your back. Um, <laughs> you'll be okay in the morning. I feel like dropping Dawson's Creek, you might as well be like, Dawson's Creek, maybe Degrassi Junior High. 90210. Yeah, right? we're, we're in Melrose that. Place. The OC. Sure, the OC, right. I've um, seen an episode of 90210. I've got, you got me on that one at least. Oh, I, I, got you, I got you beat on that. I loved 90210. Anyway. I bet you did. And Melrose Place. Both trashy, loved it. Okay. Uh, in Japanese manga, this genre usually focuses on school and interpersonal relationships. To bring a final comment on this idea, it's life observed and examined. A cast of characters go about their daily lives, making observations and being themselves. Slice of life stories don't usually have much of a plot, but they don't really need one. And many slice of life stories use a lack of conflict to serve as peaceful escapism rather than realism. So that's why you stay away from the terrible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to do the terrible, you've kind of broken the slice of life. Bit. 
to uh, anybody out there who is really into the scholarly stuff, there is the slice of light that is life that is related to literary fiction that does delve more into the terrible of life. Sure. But we're not talking about that here. Just so you all know, we're aware of it. We're just not talking about that. Exactly. We're, we're honing this definition to work for us in RPGs. Are you all satisfied with that definition, set of definitions? Feeling good about it? Mm-hmm. Right. I am satisfied. All right. So what is slice of life gameplay? These are basically the scenes that depict the regular life of the characters. Uh, these are the personal moments that show off what their day-to-day life is actually like. Uh, these scenes help us flesh out who our characters are when conflict isn't pushing them to act. For example, in part one of A Time for Change, Ty has the most slice of life moments with waking up, eating breakfast with his family, and having a discussion with Sergi, who he's having a disagreement with. These are all mundane moments in Ty's life, and the discussion with Sergi is the most conflict-laden moment of them. Yeah, so that's what we mean when we're talking about slice of life, right? These are the normal, everyday occurrences in life. That is the gameplay of this. It doesn't have to be very complicated. So what are some ways to use this type of play in your games? All right, so this establishes the normal, right? So it's easy to understand when the character's life becomes complicated by the upside-down world infringing on them. So since we've only discussed this once, the upside-down world is a term from a storytelling technique called Save the Cat. The upside-down world is the world that comes and flips the character's life into a state that is unrecognizable from what it was before. Yeah, and actually, in our first story, that only really happens to Gunny. Correct. The, you guys are... You, your upside... Well, I, not actually true. That's not true. Ty's life is pretty normal. That's, Ty, that's his normal life. Ty's life is pretty normal, and Ty starts more adjusted than the, than the two of you. Your upside-down is we actually do the nightmare. When, when we start the game, my life is already flipped. Yes, but we relive it. We do. We go back and we relive why your life flipped. And then by request, Bob wanted the upside down uh, world to hit him in the middle of the first session. Because it's interesting. And yeah. because we, we hear like, you know, I as a GM am here to serve. So that's what we crafted. But that I think is like now that you're listening to this kind of post having listened to the APs, that's kind of how it fits into our, our current story. What else? So real, real quick, Jerry, is your character's nickname Ty or T? I can never remember. Should because be T. We've been during, calling him T. During the whole session, you were using T. It should be T because it's short for Santiago. So yes, yeah, it should yeah, be T. T. Every time we mentioned Ty earlier, it's T. <laughs> yes. No character ever says their own name. I do sometimes. I call myself it's Silas. It's like trying to remember your own home phone number. <laughs> okay. As we mentioned earlier, to help establish a character's normal so that when conflict comes up, we can understand how their life is being upset. We talked about that a little bit, right? Like, that's a great way to do it. It also provides another kind of downbeat for the game, one that focuses on a different aspect of a character or by giving them some space for the setting to breathe rather than focusing on this action and this drama. Like Gunny helping out with running his parents' store. Or T meeting Casey in the upcoming adventures. Yeah. This is also going to provide the stakes for characters that have an enjoyable normal. When their enjoyable world is upset, they often want to get back to that which motivates them to deal with the issues that they have arisen. Yeah, we just talked about this, but... For Silas, he had a pretty normal life with Mesame, and now it's been flipped upside down because she's dead, sort of, maybe, potentially. Part of her essence is stolen by some person with a golden blade. I, oh, got, I got nothing for you, you got nothing for Stone me. fucking wall. <laughs> <right there. laughs> Have you guys ever done any of this stuff? Uh, like, provided, like, let this normal show up so that you can provide stakes for later in, like, other role-playing games? Yeah, uh, PBTA game. There are a couple of PBTA games that actually tell you to start just like this. Apocalypse World actually tells you to start slice of life and then just get into it i'm trying to remember what the other ones but there are a couple other pbta games that actually embrace this 
as the method for getting into your characters and getting the game started. They just tell you, like, start walking around. Tell us about your day. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. And then at some point, the GM will lean in with a move. Mm -hmm, Because that's the conflict that upsets the status quo. Exactly. When I did my fusion fantasy game, we had a lot of slice of life stories where it was between games. The players would talk about what their characters were doing in the town that they lived in. We role played out encounters with new people, returns of characters that had left before. And in my VNV campaign that I ran for years at college, we had slice of life almost every adventure because it was a comic book game. So you had to have those encounters with the NPCs and just stories about going out to dinner together and discussing things that were going on and romantic interludes and that sort of thing before things got turned upside down again when Dr. Death shows up or something. I will note, Bob, we did this pretty extensively, even in a very similar way that Jerry's talking about. We just pretty extensively in uh, Tales from the Loop. We would do these slice of life things like in between mysteries. Yes. We would just do these like very normal things about when Glenn's character's dad was dating that girl. That had nothing to do with any of the mysteries, Mm -hmm. but it was a thing that the kids dealt with during the course of like the stories. Yeah. Pretty low stake personal kind of story, right? Yeah. So another reason is that it is a way to engage players. So as a GM, it's a way to get players involved in the game, especially if you're doing the slice of life, like in a session one, it's a great way to pull players in and get them talking about their characters and helping to narrate their lives, help them narrate their normal and, you know, just find out like, what are they doing before you push the upside down on them, the upside down world. Yeah, it's really very apparent in our first actual play. Oh, it it does a really good job of that. So from a gut feeling, right, just as an aside, from a gut feeling, knowing that we were playing a modern fantasy, right, which is the one of the tropes of the modern fantasy is that it is a world inside a world. So one of the things I wanted to make sure was we see the regular world and then we start to see the other world overlaid on top of it. And, you know, again, I love genre emulation. So to me, this is like a CW show. This is like some CW TV show, supernatural TV show kind of thing. And in my head, that's how I'm seeing it. Like I see slice of life because you see a lot of pilots for teen dramas and stuff open with this kind of this kind of uh, maneuver. I should really readjust my head for the game because I always see it as an anime. I don't know if those are terribly far apart other than one of them is animated and the other one isn't like the animated one usually has a little bit more. You do the thing and then usually 11 minutes in you uh, have the intrusion, which is usually something way over the top. Yeah, I know. I think I mean, basically we have magic and swashbuckling. So every problem you encounter is probably going to go over the top. Mm -hmm. I mean, by the time people hear this, like they'll have heard the angel. It's our our CW anime. The angel shows up and it causes all kinds of problems for us because it's looking for someone called the child of winter. He's pissed, man. He's pissed. He just (laughs) got geased. And he just needs he wants to go hook up. Goddamn fuckboys. I'm going to be late for my date. Angelic fuckboys, man. They're the worst. As of this recording, I haven't edited that episode yet. But, you know, just to give you some inside podcasting. I guess what we can do now. Just thinking about this, that little blurb I wrote up about angels, fuckboys, and Christianity, we can now, we can release it now that that episode's um, on its way out. Last one, last one on the list, Babo. So it's a way to create and mine details of the setting to incorporate into the campaign. So for example, the video game Call of Violence, it's a trope, but it's also a connection for Sergei and T. To be clear, I wrote, since I wrote this line, it's about to become a trope, right? Because... This is the kind of thing where 
as you guys are giving like the slice of life, I'm just trying to embellish with ideas. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, I was like, oh, there's this game. It's, you know, it's call of violence. And then like, I just made up like a, like a one line thing about it, but you're the one who in the middle of the game is like, I need to know more about this game. I did. And so at that moment, call of violence stops being just a background detail. And now it becomes a reusable item that we can now use throughout the story. I play call of violence. Yeah. See, like, of course you do. Everybody plays call. Everybody of plays call of violence. Yeah. Gunny doesn't play call of violence. It's because Gunny doesn't have a good computer. You're damn right. He's gone to somebody's house and played it before. No, no. Oh, Gunny's not into video games. Oh, okay. Oh, that's sad. Thought, that's sad. I, I thought maybe Gunny just, you know, he was a master at Yar's Revenge or something. So. Yar's Revenge. Wow. That's I, love, a, I love Yar's Revenge. Never, never had a video game console. But I, I will say this, like when I am like, especially starting a game. So again, go back to that session one thing. In session one, I am trying to get a feel for the world and be able to portray the world to you. So slice of life is like a way that helps me. And, and I throw little things out. Like I threw the thing out about like, who's, who's picking up coffee. And then Jerry, you know, was like, oh, I'm going to go buy some stuff. But then Chris was like, oh, there's a rotation of people who pick up coffee for Correct. friends. And I was like, now that's another bit I can work into future episodes. Yeah, I have other friends. Yeah. I, like at popular some, is actually not a terrible die. Right. Yeah. So at some point, like in a future session, like Lisa's going to bring you like a tea or whatever it is you drink. Because you said you didn't drink coffee. Correct. So at some point, Lisa's going to bring you a drink because now that's a thing I have. Lisa, my rival? Oh, no. Um, is, is Lisa... Um, Derek's my friend. Yeah, is, but is Derek's girlfriend Lisa? No. Oh, then it's Derek's girlfriend. I can't remember what her name is. Yeah, yeah. Hand. But there's Derek... Like, as far as I know, part of that group is you, Derek, Derek's girlfriend. Like, at some point, she's, you know, she'll bring it or Derek's going to... Julia. yeah. Something like that. It's not Lisa. It's not Lisa. Lisa. If she brings you a drink, you should be careful. Correct. <laughs> like, Lisa beat me in the physics test. Yes. But I am, and I, I don't know if this is true for you, but like when I am starting out a game, I am looking for those pieces so that I can help better build up the feeling of the world. Doing the slice of life is like letting out the slack on the line so I can see what I can catch. Because you guys will just tell me things. And some of it'll be interesting and some of it'll be funny. And then reincorporation is kind of the key to building a good setting. So as I'm hearing them, I'm like collecting from you guys. It does help flesh out the high school part of the game. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Plus, it also helped me calibrate a bit of the high school part of the game where I had to like kind of mention a few things that are like, oh, in Gen Z time. I'd like Jerry was talking about multicolor lights. I'm like, oh, those are light strips. And I'll tell you how you know this. Go through Chris's neighborhood or any neighborhood and look at the windows where you can see the LED lights bleeding through the top. You're not That's wrong. the kids room. Do the lights on our porch are LEDs? No, I know. But like specifically those light strips. Yeah. Like Dante had them. My yeah, son had them all about. along the, you know, these, and I, these days I, are all programmable too. Right. And I can find them. Like you just drive through a neighborhood. Like I'll show it to Bob tonight. Cause there's like one house on the way home to my place where it's like, oh, there's a teenager who lives in that room up there. Mm-hmm. Might as well be like that fire. Remember that fire sticker when we were kids? The one that tells the fireman to come save you. Oh, man. That's like an old, old thing right there, bud. I didn't have one on my room, but my room did burn down. Man, just. <laughs> well, then. <laughs> just. Bob, I what's the next thing? For hours. <laughs> so what elements do you need to have some slice of life moments in your game? It varies. Sean P. Kelly, thank you very much. Hey, but we're going to talk about how it varies. Sure. Sean P. Kelly used to just stop there. Yes. Sean P. Kelly, our hard RPG, Saturday mornings, uh, 9 a.m. Eastern. 
Check it out live on YouTube. So it varies from situation to situation, but like some basic ones are locations that represent the normal. The um, high school uh, in our game, Gunny, your family store. These are like normal places. Silas's house. Yeah. Uh, T's house. Those are normal. I mean, they're magical, but they're sort of normal. They're the normal magical. I mean, I'm we're both rich. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not normal for you, but it's normal for some kid. Yeah. To be honest, T's uh, T's house looks and sounds like his family sounds like a typical family. Yeah, his family's very normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, which brings us into the NPCs, and these are the ones that are going to help character reflect and discuss the everyday. For example, T's brother and sister, Gunny's mother, and Silas's friend Derek. Mm-hmm. I mean, NPCs are a great way mm-hmm. to have these moments, right? Like that's how, who you can talk to. That's how you can have these low stakes conversations that you need to be having. It is hard to have a conversation without someone to talk to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are some amount of slice of life stories where it's just a character waxing poetical by themselves as they're taking a walk through the park. Oh, sure, sure. But that's less good for a role-playing game. Yeah. I mean, it's just somebody sitting narrating. Great for a journaling game. Sure. Fantastic. Yeah, for not so game. much for a, a, where we're sitting at the table playing a role-playing mm-hmm. game. You've also got low-stakes issues or simple objectives like taking a walk, talking about where to get a meal, or how to spend a day off. Playing Call of Violence, for example. That's going to be a thing. Uh, as we said before, Gunny helping out at the store after school. Something that he has to do. One of my favorite openings to a movie. I don't know. Maybe this won't count, but I'm just going to tell you that it feels like it is the opening of Reservoir Dogs. They're all just sitting around the table, talking over each other, having this like completely mundane conversation that has nothing to do with what's about to happen in the story. It just opens and you kind of just you get a little taste of each character as it's going around the table. I know. I don't think it fits perfectly, but it gives me those vibes. So let's be cinema nerds for a second. So one, it's Tarantino, right? Yeah. So Tarantino does weird stuff with story structure. Yeah. Tarantino is not doing a great job of establishing normal because all of these people's normals is actually awful. Yes. They're they're all awful human beings that do terrible things. They are. They are bad people. Except for the undercover cop. Correct. Who is still doing some uh, pretty underhanded stuff. It's going to get worse for him before it gets better. (laughs) So, I mean, that... It's an interesting example. It is not, if we're going to talk about what that actually is, there's just a way to introduce a bunch of characters. Sure. Could, but in, in a way that isn't like in the middle of a gunfight. Correct. It's, it's not even like, this is who I am. You learn about the character by just listening to what they're saying. Yeah. Th- there's so little establishing normal in that movie. Sure. That's altogether. fair. That's fair. Because Tarantino doesn't play with, does Tarantino doesn't do anything that you would expect. Yeah. He's an anomaly when yeah. it comes to those things. But I love that scene. Could, could that be considered him subverting the trope? I mean, he's subverting the story structure. It's not really a trope. The, yeah, subver- subverting that whole, you open, you see these guys all having this chat, and you're thinking, oh, slice of life moment. But it's not, because these are all people whose normal is terrible. Yeah. Yes. The better example of this, I think, in movies is pretty much any disaster movie. The first 30 minutes of any disaster movie is almost always yeah. some sort it's, of slice of life. It's always that, yeah. When we were talking about Independence Day. You get a lot of feel for the characters before that ship shows up and then it shows up and that's the upside down world. I love talking about nerdy story structure movie stuff. Oh, though, man, I man. Know. <laughs> of course, <laughs> feel free. We can we can do this. We can, I can do this all day. No, yeah. it's fine. Uh, and, <laughs> thanks, Cap. <laughs> thanks, Cap. <laughs> Anyways, let's uh, let's move on. So moments and topics that are feel good or provide warm, fuzzy feelings. Slave of life is intended to be relaxing and peaceful. That's the whole point. So talking about the cool new stuff in Call of Violence is that, I mean, feel good or warm, fuzzy feeling. Mm -hmm. It's a relaxing activity, right? We're talking about video games. These are very low stakes. Yes. 
Yeah. For high school students. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's the kind of uh, things that we get into when we're talking about the elements that you need to have those slice of life moments in your games. You combine all those things together and you can do some pretty interesting things that aren't stressful or actiony or high stakes, yeah. but you can have conversations. You can learn stuff about characters and still be interesting. So I think that's really the key is like, you don't always have to like go for high action to make the game interesting. That's very true. All right. Let's discuss a few things concerning slice of life. Can you have slice of life moments in a fantastical setting? Of course you can. You just have to focus on the mundane moments of people having a setting like that, rather than the exceptional, dramatic, or the momentous moments of action-oriented gameplay. Meeting in a tavern and talking to each other and some of the patrons is one of its perfect example. Yep. Everybody poops. Everybody does poop. <laughs> so That is, yeah. I mean, <laughs> we don't talk about it in fantasy games, but somebody's pooping somewhere. <laughs> The amount of games that are set, not games, the amount of stories that I've watched in anime that are set in like magical schools or things like that. But really, there's always a sequence where people are sitting at a table for lunch, having conversations, doing Uh ridiculous things. Mm -hmm. Tells you so much about characters and tells you so much about what people care about and broadens things about those characters that we didn't know before. One of my favorite slice of life moments from our Tales from the Loop game was we did the story about it it was basically the Transformers. Our Friends of the Machines is the name of the mystery. Mm -hmm. And in the middle of the game, there winds up being a slice of life moment where Tony's character, Bob's character, and the NPC, Bob's girlfriend, get into an argument over the meaning of these episodes. And Tony was so good about just making up these like thematic elements and characters all loosely based off of Transformers stuff. And Lisa, Bob's girlfriend's getting it like is going head to head with Tony. Like, I don't even know how. Did you even watch the same episode? Like they're like <laughs> having this like completely ridiculous nerd discussion that is taking place outside of the fact that very shortly they're all going to actually meet these little animated toys and wind up having some touching moments when the final battle occurs. <laughs> Heart wrenching is good. If you have a fantasy setting or a cyberpunk setting or whatnot, you just have to think about what the normal is for the people that live in that world. Yeah. In fact, actually just asking that question as a GM, like, hey, tell me about your normal day. Like, what do you do? Like, the alarm goes off. Like, what do you do? You know, oh, I get up. uh, I grab a caffeine stick. I, you know, huff it down while I'm in the shower. I roll out to the coffee place to get myself a latte, you know. Uh, you know, I throw I throw my armor jacket to roll out to the coffee place like I've placed my order, but I got to get there, you know, before somebody like boosts me. It, that kind of thing is great. I think you see a touch of that, don't you? At the beginning of um, what's the cyberpunk uh, anime? Uh, ne- uh, Edge runners. Edge runners. Edge runners. Right. Don't you see a little bit of that? Not just at the beginning, but when they're between jobs, you get to see what they do, what their normal is between jobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I meant the normal of the main character before his world Correct. gets completely when he's, fucking exploded. Yeah. When he's going to school and things like yeah. that. Yeah. There's that. I was going to actually mention that too as a show, but I was also going to mention after his world gets exploded, what his new normal becomes. Yeah. Which is an important thing to think about because at some point your life will get flipped upside down when you're playing these games, probably. Because that's the point of them. There's drama and action and whatnot. And then there will be a new normal established. I think I see this a lot in a lot of video games you see these days where you have places where the player can just go and walk around, talk to people, sit and do things, pick things up, look around, have interactions um, in Cyberpunk 20, uh, the, the video game. You can do that in your apartment. You go back there. Nothing ever affects you. You just walk around, pick things up, watch TV, play with the cat, that sort of thing and downtime yourself. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make two points here in Edge Runners. 
one of the other important reasons for having that slice of life is as that main character starts to degrade, you've seen him live normal life and then you see him starting to un- like unravel as cyberpsychosis takes him over. Mm-hmm. It's like a nice contrast. When it comes to slice of life for video games, I think my favorite is still the opening of uh, Half-Life. You start the opening of Half-Life, you're Gordon Freeman, and you are checking into work at Black Mesa, and nothing has happened, nothing bad has happened. You're right, you, you actually, and it's first player, you have to get on the train, and the train's going, and the narrator's telling you stuff about like safety at the Black Mesa facility, and you see things as you're going by, and you start the game, you put on your suit, and then you go into the reaction chamber, and then you cause the thing that creates the rest of the game, like the, the danger in the game. But for the first 20 minutes of that game, you're, you're just Gordon Freeman, like walking around, talk, like saying hi to the security guard and like checking in for work like it's a normal day. Like it's a normal day of work. Have none of you played this game? No, I've never played half life. No. <gasps> none of you. They're old man. You gotta remember, I don't play a ton of video games. I didn't. I didn't get into those kind of video games until Fallout Three. It's fine. Don't fight. My, my old folks will appreciate that opening. I do need to say we are talking. What we are talking about slice of life gameplay. The things that we are often talking about here are how we are setting up, establishing, or reestablishing normal for these characters, mm-hmm. which is not exactly the same thing as playing. A slice of life game. Yeah, mm-hmm. good point. These are two very different things. Mm-hmm. Slice of life games. Like I wanted to bring up My Neighbor Totoro, but My Neighbor Totoro is if you've ever if you've never seen it, it feels a lot like slice of life, even though there's like magic involved in it because it's there's nothing there. They, yeah. There's no plot to that. Mm-hmm. They're just two characters that exist in this world that they've just moved into, mm-hmm. and how their daily life functions. So one another thing that is like here. That's that's a almost an entire slice of life story sure there's nothing stake wise there there's nothing going on aside from the magical part right like even that though there's nothing really stake wise going there they're just experiencing and enjoying fantastical things and when it comes to games that have that kind of slice of life feel to it i don't think we have we personally i don't think have a lot of i've never played one yeah we don't have any table time on those so we can't we can't really speak to those to any great effect so i think we'll just keep our topic focused on the idea of using this in in other role playing games, like you said, for establishing these normals and and things like that. If there were games that that played like that, that we've we've talked about all the elements that you need to have those kind of games, they're just kind of warm fuzzy stories about characters that are existing in the world. Oh, I, I believe there are some that I know of. I just haven't played any. Yeah, it, uh, I've, I've played Golden High Sky Stories a couple of times. Is it, doesn't it play, does it play like that? Yeah, it. As, to be honest, as a game, I it's you get about an hour into the game and you're ready to start shooting stuff. It's fun, you, but you're the, ready to start. You're shooting. Ready to start but there's, shooting but stuff. there's, there's, there's no conflict. There's no, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's the point. They're, yeah. they're yeah. often sometimes referred to as pastoral games. Yes. Like they're, they're, they're fun to play for about an hour for me. <laughs> yeah. Like wander home is a pastoral uh, game as well. Right. So wander home right from their webpage is a pastoral fantasy role-playing game about traveling animal folk, the world they inhabit, and the way the seasons change. It's a game filled with grassy fields, mossy shrines, herds of chubby bumblebees, possums in sundresses, salamanders with suspenders, starry night skies, and the most beautiful sunsets you can imagine. Yeah. Right? Really peaceful. It's it is nice. very peaceful. Yeah. Let's move on to the next one. Should you use mechanics when doing slice of life scenes? Yes, you can. You can. You can. <laughs> we, we did a little bit of it yes. uh, in our game. 
because I took a test. You did. Mm-hmm. Those are low stakes, man. I mean, yeah. they're kind of high stakes for a high school student, but in the grand scheme of things, they're pretty low stakes for our game. They were even low stakes for Silas. Like it was just for it was for taking a. It wasn't to pass the class or anything. It was literally like, can you get to do this after school thing? Yeah, pretty exactly. low stake. So there are mechanical re- resolutions that you should think about when doing that, though. Like, how does your character become broader because of that situation? Mm-hmm. Now, my test didn't really have that, but I thought about it later. I'm like, I've been busy. There's a reason I failed to beat her i have had this sword issue you are not well i'm not okay right and i'm hiding it too because you know i can i'm a high school student i can handle anything no i can't we don't have a trade on the table with your anguish on it when the game starts you're normal right now even though the fact is like you are not okay i still don't think based on the magic and what was said to me because i'm smart that mesame is gone for good I know you can't say anything. Fucking Stonewall. But <laughs> if anybody is listening to that, she said, the man with the golden blade with the blue stones took my essence. I'm giving you the rest. And now I have her sword, which is part of her essence. So, I mean, she could potentially still be around if I could find the rest of it. Maybe I could reconstitute her. That's what I'm thinking. So I'm not like thinking that it's, it's over yet. And Phil is stonewalling me right now. I'm putting up his hood. <laughs> Because that wouldn't be a very satisfying story if it didn't come out that way, probably. <laughs> you get nothing in like I it. I know, right? Another thing to think about with stakes when you're using mechanics for these these low stakes, low impact things is like, how does it broaden the setting? Shift the setting rather than change the setting in dramatic ways. I think that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. And, and honestly, again, from a behind the screen kind of thing, my intent for your test in the game was just for us to roll some dice so people could hear it. Sure. But you also put a mechanical thing in there to broaden the setting by showing another part of our professor or our, our yeah. teacher, Mrs. Hill, and how she handles students with their with their rewards. Yeah. That existed. That was oh, part of it. Absolutely. And I didn't and I also didn't want you to roll for no reason. Right. Yeah. So that's why there if you had actually gone if you had won and gone to the uh the experiment I'd have given you a D6 asset mm-hmm. for you to use like in a, like on a future test. Like, oh, it's time to take your physics test. Yeah, well, you had some extra credit time. So you have like a little bonus going into. Yeah. Because, again, this goes to a philosophy that I think we feel strong about when it comes to just session design in general, which is I don't. And I know this is true for you as well. I don't ask you to roll unless it is both narratively and mechanically interesting. Correct. I as much as possible. I just realized that that class is preparing Silas for like working in, in the corporate environment because the reward for doing well at work is more work. No, here, here's the truth. Here's the truth. None of it prepares you for working in the corporate environment because in the corporate environment, that's not what happens. If you fail a test, most times you just get to try again. You or you like, get fired. Maybe. You get fired, you know, if it's, you know, severe enough. But I mean, I know like I know plenty of times people have tried stuff. It doesn't work and they try again and eventually get it or whatever. Like school is a bad representation for how corporate life works. Yeah. Also, I think Jerry just has a very, very uh, skewed version of what that that looks like. I mean, if you get to go out there and do a cool experiment that nobody else gets to do, that that is also thought of as, as a reward. And usually when you get in those situations, you're just helping see the cool thing that's about to happen. By the way, I mean, I, so that thing about the toy day, that was actually my college physics professor. When I went to school. There's a day called Scholars Day where we don't have classes at Brockport and students and faculty give lectures all day. That's cool. And one of the main attractions is he was the head of the physics department, Dr. Mancuso. He would do this one hour presentation with all these toys that he had collected and he would demonstrate different aspects of physics. 
by using these toys in like in a one hour demonstration. He would sometimes bring them to class and do them. But for Scholars Day, he would do this big thing where he would do it all in like one big show in class. And if that was just your thing. Yeah. And it's fun for you. then that's a fun situation. Yes. It's also college, which makes a big difference. Yes. I mean, but that was yeah. my inspiration for it. Yeah. That's, oh, it's, it's a great inspiration. I think it's cool. And there are definitely students I know who would have loved the idea of more of whatever we're doing in class. I can't imagine your mom was a chemistry teacher. I can't imagine she didn't have a couple chemistry tricks. I know my chemistry teacher I'm, did. I'm sure she did. I have no idea. I never took her. Yeah. I, 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 I specifically avoided taking. Those, I, I was in I was in honors chemistry. So we did things like here's a blank periodic table. I'm going to give you like 15 different things on this table. Fill the rest of it in by my, from memory. That's kind of stuff. I, I took honors physics and we made like six different artificial f- like flavors and like sat around smelling them all. We extracted wintergreen. Really? We made artificial banana flavor, isopentyl acetate. See, that, that sounds more like biology for us. Lancaster. Land <laughs> of evil. Well, we, did, we, we, did, we didn't have honors physics because when I took physics, there were only two students who wanted to take it in the entire school. And my phys- there's a whole story about me blowing stuff up in physics classes. Land of evil. <laughs> you are not wrong. <laughs> I am winning this this I, discussion point consistently. <laughs> not, I am not from arguing. Week, from week to week. Chris, have I ever argued with you that point? No, but you're just, you're just, you're just, you're just reinforcing it for me, man. <laughs> All right. Um, the last thing, like when, when you have a resolution, you should probably think about like the contemplation and thoughtfulness concerning the situation, character, and general life. In mechanical terms, if you're playing a game that has distinctions or that has traits or aspects, you can put those on the table. Mm-hmm. They can be rewards for rolling those mm-hmm. dice. If you're going to use these mechanics and slice of life scenes, those are the things that you should probably think about most when resolving them. Yeah. And I think, again, keep the scale in mind. So whatever the like the trait is, this should also be pretty mundane. Or if it's like the revelation to the situation. Sure. Then you're doing like that trope, the... Um, Oh, what is it? The Eureka, the Eureka, the Eureka trope. trope. Yeah. But uh, oftentimes the Eureka trope happens in slice of life situations. Oh, I mean, some there are certain there are certain TV mysteries that are based on the Eureka trope. Yeah. The one with Kira Cedric. Closer. The closer. The closer. The closer almost always solved their problems in some way where Kira Cedric was either dealing with something else or having a completely unrelated discussion and then suddenly realized how to crack the case. Yep. That happens fairly often in elementary as well, I've noticed. Yeah, yeah it it's a fun, you know what, it's a fun trope. I don't, I don't ding anyone for it. It's fine. It's mm-hmm. a fun trope. So is there anything else you want to bring up? Just to remind, remind players that a slice of life is a scene, not a mechanic. It's for role-playing and showing characters' lives. Or as Chris would say, it's for establishing and reinforcing normal. Yeah, it's not a, not a mechanic. It's a yeah. scene. And consider it, it's a tool. It's a, it's a great tool to use. We talk about it a lot as a starting tool. But don't be shy after playing a couple sessions to return to a slice of life to pick up some more details or let the characters reincorporate what their new normal is after a bunch of events have occurred. And also just to defend one thing, I know Chris has said Lancaster's evil and I can't fight about all that. My chemistry teacher was actually pretty cool. It was just my, my lab partner that was horrible. So my chemistry teacher was cool and taught us. I learned a lot of chemistry in that class. Okay, so it's fun. I didn't have fun. But I learned chemistry. So on one side, we have one good thing. On the other side, we have 27. We have Lancaster. Oh, I know. I know. I just, I just don't want to be throwing my chemistry teacher under the bus because I learned a lot of chemistry in that class mm-hmm. and they were a good teacher. Noted. Chemistry teacher is the exception that proves the rule. I got gotcha. you. Yes. Lab partner, however, horrible person. See, there you go. 28. Anyway, that's a discussion about slice of life. We hope this gives you some insights into how and why you might want to bring these ideas and moments to your game. If you have any thoughts about this topic or stories from your game table, 
We'd love to hear about them in our Slack room. You can also, you know, hit me up on Twitter at Misdirected Mark. With that said, let's move on to talk about another show on Misdirected Mark Productions. Bob. Alrighty, this time out, it's going to be Thacko with Advantage. Ange and Jared love talking about RPGs and D&D. Together, they share insights into the games they're running in the campaign journal and then tackle a variety of topics that affect the game in the DM's workshop. They're going to talk anyway, so they might as well record it, right? Maybe you'll even pick up an ancient D&D factoid about a previous edition of the game that you'll never use. I know, because I read them all. As, as, as an announcer guy, it's really fun. <clears throat> we have a few minutes. I, I have a question. Oh. Yep. How did you feel about... I'm going to go around the table. Phil, we'll start with you. How did you sure. feel about our first session of Children of the Shroud? How do you feel it went? How do you feel it, it's going? Where, where do you think it might go from here? Positive, negative, things like that? Sure. So from a GMing side, right, I was really pleased. Like, we hit all the things that I wanted to, you guys kind of engaged the game the way I was hoping you would. And, you know, we did pull off what I needed to land from a planning point of view, which was we needed to get to Gunny getting his powers. So from that point, I was very happy with that. As characters, I really like your characters. Part of for me is, do I understand your characters? Am I starting to get a feel for who your characters are? Because that is what helps me when I'm starting to write the next adventures to understand what I need to put into the games. And so the answer for me, and again, this is a sign of success, is that, yeah, I actually feel like I understand your characters better, like who they are, how to start to engage them, where some of their conflicts are, where some of the things that they want to play into. What about you, Jerry? I really liked the, the way that the story developed. I really enjoyed the way Phil used Slice of Life to show the family life, that it's a fairly normal family life for somebody who's got a little bit of money. And that T's own inner demons are really, I don't want to say unfounded, but his home life isn't horrible. He doesn't have, his parents are supportive, a little controlling, but that's parents. His older brother and sister, we haven't seen the little one yet. Our typical older brother and sister being sarcastic and, and so on are the thing he's really rebelling against more than anything else. But also giving him a baseline of a place to build from so that there's a room for him to stop being such an asshole. I like that you said parents being controlling because mine weren't very controlling and I'm pretty sure Phil's weren't very controlling. So that tells us a lot about you. I'm, I, My I, parents were completely laissez-faire. Yeah, like, right. Like mine weren't very much I, I, on that either. I was bounded in by your freedoms are proportional to your grades. And so when my grades were good, which was pretty much most of the time, my freedoms were pretty large. My, my, my father was essentially a gangster, so. <laughs> my, my parents were, were fairly kind of in the middle. Look, when I was a kid, I would just disappear for hours at a day. Yeah. And I hung out, you know, I, I was 14 years old, hanging out with a bunch of 30 and 40 year olds who carried knives and stuff like that. <laughs> um, and, uh, it was the 80s, but, all right. But, but at the same time, there was, there was lots and lots of pressure to do more things in school, attend more things, get good grades. They were always upset by the fact that I didn't, or at least they showed that they were upset that I wasn't involved with anything in school. And one of the biggest arguments we ever had was about me not wanting a class ring and then wanting me to get a class ring. It's so interesting because I have such a different experience. Like my dad was so not a part of my anything really, aside from football, the watching of and enjoying of football. That was it. Oh, see, I spent a lot of time with my dad watching football, watching old movies, building stuff on the train table. I, I got zero pressure. Uh, see, I, I made my parents in my senior year go to parent teacher conference night. <laughs> they hadn't gone ever. And I was like, I feel like you guys need to go before I graduate. And so I made them go to my senior year parent teacher conference one quarter. But yeah, you have to also have to say that my dad was part of the Chamber of Commerce. Well, and, I, I, and, and my mom was taught at the school. So school and, and, and the community 
were part of their social life. This is just reinforcing Mike's statement, which is like your experience is very different mm-hmm. from mine mm-hmm. and Phil's. So like your statement was very telling about you, you compared to everybody else. Yeah, That's but, all I was saying. I, yeah. I just, I just don't think that they're, I just don't look at them as being super controlling, except when it came to wanting me to do certain things, but no, they I never think, made me, they very, very rarely made me do things I hated. Doing. I had a, I had a friend, go to school. I had a friend in high school whose parents were very controlling. And mm-hmm. I can assure you that, you do not fall into that spectrum. Hmm. That that person's yeah. life was basically run by their parents, like down to uh, what classes they took in high school and stuff. Like it was pretty, it was pretty brutal. I knew people like that, but I just also knew people that weren't like that. It just there was a broad spectrum. But usually, slips of the tongue like that mean that yeah. that you have a, a particular experience. There's also the fact that I knew how to play the game. Like I knew that my parents were more concerned with not knowing where I was. Then what time I was going to be home. Yeah, sure. So if they said they wanted me home at 10, if I knew I wasn't going to be home at 10, I just called them and said, hey, I'm running 20 minutes behind. I'll be home at 20 after 10. They didn't give me a problem with that because when 10 o'clock came and I wasn't home, they knew where I was. You don't actually have to explain yeah. yourself. Like, I, I mean, I, yeah. I don't necessarily need the entire story. Yeah. I just thought it was interesting. And that's why I commented well, on it. I just it. wanted to make sure you didn't think that my parents were controlling because I don't think so and I don't want to demean them on no your parents were, your parents were certainly more engaged yeah like, your yeah. parents were certainly more engaged than like chris's parents and my and my parents i actually kind of wish my my dad was more engaged i if you have noticed that I, I i don't know if you guys have noticed but i am a more engaged parent than my parents were like i go to a bunch of my kids stuff that is a involvement thing sure because it just wasn't a thing for a little bit of therapy my family didn't eat at a dinner table my, neither, neither did mine. My parents ate in front of the TV. So did mine. And sometimes I ate with them if I wanted to watch the show. And other times I took my tray to my room and watched my own TV and ate by myself. I do not let my kids eat anywhere else except at the dinner table. Huh. Interesting. When they come and visit me, we all sit and have dinner. And ever since they were little, we always have dinner at the table. I remember that was the strangest thing for me growing up. Uh, now we're, the, we're way on a, on a side tangent, but we'll get, we'll get <laughs> sure. on track in a second. Strangest thing for me growing up was I would hang out with friends of mine who they all sat and ate at the dinner table. It was yeah. very odd to me. Yeah, I make my kids tell me about their days. They loathe it. But you know the line from, uh, what is it? You can't get off the stage till you sing the blues? Nobody leaves without singing the blues. Right. No one gets up from this table till you've talked about your day. That is a hard line when we have dinner. Like well, that would have been murder when I was let growing me, up. Let, I would have hated let, that. Let me move this conversation back to the topic. Of hand, <laughs> yeah. Bob, Bob, go ahead. Yeah. So I thought that the session went exactly as I had hoped it would for Gunny. Very much weird shit starting to happen. Not understanding what was going on. The big reveal and literally just being what just happened. I love that moment. And I thought it was a great place for us to stop at that point and when we were doing the recording. I'm very much looking forward to the the fun interpersonal conflicts that are going to happen down the road because compared to T and Silas, Gunny is capital P poor compared to them. So it's going to be very interesting when uh, you're about to get two rich friends when those conversations start happening. It's like, you know, why aren't you playing Call of Violence? It doesn't run on my computer. It doesn't run on my computer, but I don't play video games anyway. (laughs) That's when all of a sudden somebody buys my computer, like playing this game with us. Yeah. (laughs) Like, wait wait till the first time somebody asked me about a cell phone. Oh, boy. Oh, man. (laughs) You just made the flip. Flip. At least you got the flip phone. No, I totally get that. I'm glad you liked. I was I was hoping you were going to be okay with how I kind of emulated, like from the dream 
the complication on the table yep. forward. Like I was hoping that that was going to work for you. Yeah, that, that was all great. I love okay. it. So me, I've played a bunch of games with you guys at this point in, in different settings, different situations. This is the first time I've come to a table and after an hour of play, knew exactly who the characters were. All of them. It's the best fleshed out characters that I've ever seen both Bob and Jerry bring to a table, which makes it really easy for me to play off of. Yeah. Or it will make it really easy for me to play off of. And I already got to have the first discussion with T about about behavioral yes, uh, the stuff <laughs> with the gym teacher. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because was... there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, because T's a punk and I'm not. Yeah. Right. I'm I'm a pretty you're, you're like kind of a goody. I'm a preppy goody. Goody two shoes. Well, you were kind of you were goody two shoes until you hid your girlfriend's sword and then started. You know, you have fallen into a hole. I have. Yeah, which is fun. Don't it get is, me wrong; it's, it's different. Fun. I keep trying to figure out why I haven't said anything to anybody because I, I don't want anybody to blame me for killing her. That's why. I mean, there's the other part of this. They could take it away. They could try if they when they figure it out. I, I don't know if that's crossed your mind, but like she put it in you. Somebody might be able to take it out of you. Maybe. And then you would not have magical powers right now. It's okay. I already said that eventually I'm going to manifest my oh, powers. Oh, I know. But I'm just saying, like, from a psychological point of view, is there part of you that's like, look, if I tell anybody about this, they might take it away There's from me. There's some of that going on there, but that's not even, that's like a smaller version of, can I reconstitute or bring her back? Because otherwise, is she really dead? Got a lot done back there. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. That might, yep. that might, come, up in this, that might come up in the game. <laughs> I haven't told my dad because I don't feel like being a guinea pig. Also, your dad is kind of scary. My dad is terrifying. Yes. <laughs> I He's the boogeyman. The appearance of your dad is always a moment to pause and be like, what's going on here? Yeah, because he's essentially the, the troubleshooter fixed the problem that has gone wrong for the shroud. And problems have gone away. Your yeah. dad doesn't talk about it, but like sometimes things that were problems cease to be problems. Yeah, they disappear. I know what he does. <laughs> yes. Like, I'm not dumb. Yeah. He's like a veil. He's like veil... John Wick. Kind of. Yeah. That's how I kind of view him. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Not quite exactly John Wick, but not, yeah, not like, quite as kinetic, but like the magical version of that. Like he probably has some levels of scale to him. Oh yeah. Anyways, that's how I felt. You know, if there was one thing I had to ding about the game, I did not enjoy fighting the angel because of the fact that he had scale on us and it felt like we were just getting slapped around as our first encounter in the game. Yeah. I will tell you as the GM, the intent was never to hammer you guys with the angel. His I guess in a very comic book style, right? The initial reaction is like, oh, you're not who I want. Let's fight. But then it's the after one volley, he can be reasoned with, right? Sure. He's just like, he's like, I just, I just want to give up this stupid act so I can go on my date. Yeah. But my, my point is, is like the first thing that you run up in a game when you're so outclassed by a thing feels, feels bad. It was a little scary. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I appreciate that. I, I'm, I'm going to work to actually, in fact, I've addressed it for the next session not to do it. Although I say that and you're going to think the wrong thing when we start playing it, but it's okay. You'll figure it out. That's what I have. Yeah. All right. So All let's, right. Uh, let's move on. Let's do some Patreon mm-hmm. shoutouts. Hey, Patreon shoutouts. We love Patreon shoutouts. Because we love our patrons. And it's time for the Royal Court. The Royal Court. All right. Let's get to this. Thank you so much to Ty Prunty, who is Lord Timonger, Lars Henrik Evjan, the Lord Out of Time. Chromatic Chameleon, the Queen's Spy Mistress, Jim, the Royal Merchant Emeritus, Schmitty, the Keeper of the Labyrinth, Andrew Dacey, the Warden of Whiskies, Andy Olson, the Duke of Dice, John Carney, the Court Necromancer, Craig, the Lord of One Name, Tiberius Starcrash Smith, the Baron of Britannia, GM Gerrymander, the Lord of the Aftershow, 
and Kevin Lovecraft, The Royal Beard. My last month on the Royal Court. Oh, last oh, no. month being the Lord of the That means the Lord of the After Show is going to be up. And thanks to everyone for listening to this. If you like this show, you can hear more just like this at misdirectedmark.com. And if that's not enough, wait, there's more. You can check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash MMP, which has hundreds of bonus episodes available. Aside from the bonus episodes from the After Show and the Bamboo Lounge, you also get our MM Plays game stuff like Phil's nifty setting for the Children of the Shroud, our characters, the mods we're using, and Phil's Session Zero worksheet. And there's also Phil's GM behind the screen stuff too. Yes, very cool stuff. Beyond that, there's also Chris's game development notes on the Lamplighter system, which will power the Streets of Avalon RPG. And most importantly, access to our Slack channel, which is the best way to talk to us. And if the Slack channel isn't your thing, during the course of your day, as you're walking around, if you're, you know, maybe doing some work, having some lunch, taking a walk in the park, drop us an email. You can uh, hit us up on the emails at mmp at misdirectedmark.com. Hit us up on Twitter. The show in the network is at misdirectedmark, which is the best place if you want to get a response from us. You can find me on Twitter still for the time being at DNA Phil. And you can hit me up on Dice Camp at DNA Phil as well. How about you guys? Where can we find you all? Hit me up on Dice Camp at GM Gerrymander. I am on Twitter. I'm at Misdirected Mark. If you're getting a response from Misdirected Mark on Twitter, it's me. That's the best place aside from the Slack room to get me. I am on Twitter at uh, Robert M. Everson, and I will be setting up Dice Camp very soon. Last, we have a bunch of other shows on Misdirected Mark Productions. The roster includes Pandas Talking Games, Phil, our, uh, one of our resident pandas. The Gnome Cast, where our head gnome Ange decides whether people get thrown into the stew or not. Bonus Experience, which is back for another season. It's a lot of fun. And Thaka with Advantage with Ange and Jared talking about D&D because they love talking about D&D. If that still isn't enough, we have friends who create content. There's Tabletop Bellhop, your cardboard concierge. The Knights of the Night with their excellent AP, Mastering Dungeons, which is all about 5th edition D&D, and How to RPG, hosted by Sean P. Kelly of Gaming MBS. You can catch him live on Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern on YouTube. This has been a Mr. Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Mic drop. We out.